From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the field of the prepared mind. Some patients present with large defects on one day and with much smaller defects on the next visit. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Louis Pasteur was not an ophthalmologist. And yet in a lecture in 1854, he gave us these words. In the field of observation, chance favors only the prepared mind. Little did his audience know, Dr. Pasteur was speaking about visual fields and warning us that only the prepared mind will produce a reliable result. At least that's my reading. And I bet Julia Lamparter would not disagree. She's just published results of a study looking at the effect that preparedness, both in terms of experience and lack of fatigue, have upon the veracity of visual field results. I'm sure that all of the listeners are familiar with standard automated perimetry. Let me get you to talk about frequency doubling perimetry and flicker defined form perimetry. You know, what what, what these things are and and how they differ from standard automation. Uh, Well, frequency doubling technology, or just FTT, and flicker defined form perimetry, or FDF, both visual field tests that have been developed after standard automated perimetry. However, standard automated perimetry is still seen as the gold standard for visual field testing. And both of them, FTT and FDF, are supposed to detect visual field defects earlier than standard automated perimetry. Um, FTT was originally designed to detect and evaluate visual field loss irrespective of the etiology of the visual field defect. And later it was mainly used for visual field testing in glaucomatous patients or in glaucoma suspect. And a recently developed device for flicker-defined form perimetry is the Heidelberg Edge Perimeter. And in contrast to the FTT, it was primarily designed to detect very early glaucomatous visual field changes. So with respect to glaucoma, um, this might be useful for identifying people with a very early and small defects. For example, patients with ocular hypertension or pigment dispersion syndrome who are just converting to glaucoma. And they might present with a normal result in SAP, but with a very small and early defect in FTT and FDF. So what is the difference between FTT and FDF? Frequency doubling technology perimetry is based on a phenomenon which was primarily described in 1966, so more than 40 years ago by Kelly. And Kelly found out that the apparent spatial frequency of an achromatic sinusoidal grading of low spatial frequency appears to be doubled when it undergoes counterphase flickering. In other words, or in clinical practice, it means that 
patients are shown a stimulus of light and dark bars, which appear to be twice the actual number when the temporal frequency of the counterfaced flickering is increased. And it is thought that the frequency doubling stimulus predominantly stimulates the so-called magnocellular ganglion cell pathway, which is primarily involved in motion detection and flicker detection. And some researchers think that certain M-type cells are more sensitive to low spatial and high temporal frequency, and that these cells are predominantly affected in early glaucoma. But actually, this is controversial and more complex process might be involved. But there are definitely different papers which demonstrate that FDT has a high sensitivity and specificity for early glaucomatous changes. And uh, flicker-defined form perimetry now is using a different stimulus, which is also supposed to stimulate the magnocellular pathway. And here, an array of randomly positioned black and white dots, not bars, but dots, which are also flickering in high temporal frequency and counterface, are presented to the patients. And these spots reverse polarity without changing the position, which means that white dots are replaced with black dots and black dots are replaced with white dots. And again, at high temporal frequencies, the subjects cannot see the difference between the flickering dots, but what they can perceive is an illusory edge, uh, circular edge contour which appears as a gray patch against the mean luminance background. Both machines, the FDT and the FDF, look very similar, although the FDT is a bit smaller and lighter. And they present the stimulus on a screen. The patient rests the chin on the chin rest, and one eye is occluded. Um, the patient presses the button as soon as it recognizes the stimulus. So very, very similar to the Humphrey visual field, for example. And also the printouts look very similar to, to the ones that we already know. Um, as all the machines provide information about sensitivity value, uh, values of single field points, information of mean deviation, pattern standard deviation, glaucoma hemifield test, and reliability values such as false positive and negative errors and fixation loss errors. Often we can't trust the results of the first visual field exam that a patient takes because the patient must learn how to perform the test, must build up a certain skill set. Uh, for us to trust the output of the uh, test. Do any of these field tests require more or less skill on the patient's part? Well, actually, there do not exist any studies which compare FTT, FDF, and standard automated perimetry yet because the Heidelberg edge perimeter is a very new device. But um, based on my own experience, I would say that some patients prefer to be tested with frequency doubling technology instead of SAP or FDF perimetry. Of course, it depends on the test strategy, which is used on the time that it takes to perform the test. But for me, it seems that the FDT stimulus is, is easier to be recognized by most of the patients. And I also realized that patients with severe defects are really struggling with flicker-defined form perimetry. But as said before, I have to point out that flicker-defined form perimetry with the Heidelberg edge perimeter was primarily designed for catching up um, early defects. And therefore, it, it wouldn't be the first choice for testing patients with advanced glaucoma. Well, what I do recommend is not to trust the first visual field test, as there is definitely a learning curve for all perimetry techniques. And recently, we investigated the learning curve of flicker-defined form perimetry, and we could show that the learning effect is quite similar to other perimetry techniques, which means that it has to be taken into account.
Julia, can I get you to describe the design of this study? Yes, it was our aim to investigate the learning and fatigue effect of flicker-defined form perimetry, as we already know that learning and fatigue effect must be considered in, in SAP and FDT, short wavelength automated perimetry and other perimetry techniques. And it was our interest to analyze these factors in, in FDF perimetry. And therefore, we included 141 eyes of 75 healthy subjects who were um, examined with the Heidelberg Edge Perimeter in prospective cross-sectional study. And all subjects were tested three times on three different days within three months. Um, the right eyes were tested first, and we offered the patients a rest of about one to two minutes before testing their left eyes. So 75 right eyes were used to analyze the learning effect, and in 66 patients we could include both eyes because both eyes fulfilled the inclusion criteria, and these data were then used to analyze the fatigue effect by comparing the outcome measures for first and second tested eyes. And what were your main outcome measures? Um, a learning effect means an improvement in parametric results over time, and the fatigue effect uh, shows up the opposite, in, the, in the opposite way. So um, the outcome measures that we used for this study were mean sensitivity, mean deviation, pattern standard deviation, the test duration that it took to, to do the test, and reliability indices such as the false positive errors, false negative errors, fixation loss errors, and as well the glaucoma hemifield test, and the uh, test locations with a p-value of less than 5% or 0.5% in the pattern deviation plot over all three test sessions. Julia, what were your findings? What were your results? We could find learning effects for almost all outcome measures. So mean sensitivity and mean deviation, for example, improved significantly between all three tests, and pattern standard deviation improved significantly between tests one and three. And we also looked at single visual viewpoints, and in almost all of them, an increase in mean sensitivity could be shown over time. Furthermore, the test duration between the first and the last test session decreased significantly. A reduction of false positive and false negative errors was noticeable between all three tests. And we also analyzed the average number of depressed locations on the pattern deviation probability map and saw that the test points with P less than 5% tended to decline between all tests. And a significant reduction could be shown for test points with P less than 0.5% between the first and the second and between the second and the third tests. And to evaluate the effect of fatigue, um, as I said before, we included 66 right and left eyes. And we realized that the second tested eye, um, which is the left eye, presented with significantly lower mean sensitivity and mean deviation than the first tested right eye in all three tests. And to make sure that, that there was no influence of the test order, we repeated the measurements in an independent group of 15 subjects, now starting with uh, the test with their left eyes. And again, uh, the first tested eyes uh, showed better results than the second tested eyes. So as a conclusion, we could show both learning and fatigue effects in flicker-defined form parametry. Why do you think that the learning effects were more evident in certain parts of the visual field? We could show that threshold sensitivities were higher in the central visual field compared to paracentral and peripheral test locations. And in contrast, changes or increases of threshold sensitivity and therefore the learning effect 
seem to be more distinctive in the peripheral visual field. And with regard to visual field sectors, the biggest improvement was seen in the infranasal sector, followed by the infratemporal, then supranasal, nasal, and then supratemporal and temporal visual field sectors. Um, previous studies for FDT and SAP showed similar results in respect to visual field zones and learning effects were more evident in the periphery than in the central field. Well, one reason for that might be the fact that artifacts like lid artifacts are more evident in the periphery and it could also be explained by the fact that the same increase in sensitivity in, in decibels does not equal the same amount of ganglion cells in the central and in the peripheral visual field. So in other words, an increase in sensitivity of, of two decibels has more impact in the central visual field than an increase of two decibels in the periphery. And with respect to, to field sectors, our results are not consistent uh, with the previous literature, which might be um, dependent on the test strategy of the Heidelberg edge perimeter and on the, on the order in which the stimuli are presented to a subject. Your study suggests that giving a patient a five-minute break before testing the second eye did not improve the apparent effect of fatigue. How long an interval do you think is required for a patient to perform as well in the second eye as he or she did on the first? Well, actually, that's a, a very difficult question to answer because we could not find a certain time range which would have been long enough to overcome the effect. And additionally, it is controversial if, if the observed difference in sensitivity between the first and the second eye tested is really only due to, the, to, to a fatigue effect or if there are other factors involved. Um, other authors mentioned that the effect might be attributable to adaptation phenomena, and if, if that is the case, the interval needed to overcome the effect might be much higher. So at, at this point, it's not possible to give a clear explanation for the observed effect, as it might probably be a combination of different factors. However, most patients mentioned a lack in concentration after their first eye was tested, and I think it's reasonable to, to think about a, a fatigue effect and therefore to offer a rest between the examination of both eyes. And as we found out that five minutes is not enough, the period should probably be longer, but um, as we didn't test that in more detail, I, I can't give a clear recommendation time. If the etiology of the difference between the first and the second eye is fatigue. Uh, do, do you think that any of these visual field testing devices is more fatiguing than any any other? Well, again, it's, it's difficult to answer this question clearly as at this point there do not exist any other publications about the Heidelberg edge parameter and, and about FDF, so we do not have any data about comparison between the three methods. Um, in our study, some of the patients had prior experience uh, with FDT or SAP, and therefore they had an idea of, of what they would have to do. But um, we didn't ask them to give a, com a, a comparison between the, the techniques, and we didn't do a comparison between the three machines. So to investigate if, if one of the devices is more fatiguing than the other one, um, the same group of patients should be examined with all three devices, and definitely that, that would be a, a very interesting study. How are you applying these findings to your own clinical practice? Do, do you, for example, uh, have patients perform visual field tests uh, at, at, a, at a frequency, at, at, an, at an interval that's very short, let's say every clinic visit, 
when they're first starting to to do fields to build that that skill set up uh are do you do you alternate uh on on visits whether they test the the, the right eye first or the left eye first what what are you doing in the context of your of your own clinical practice with these findings well, I think it is useful to increase the initial frequency of field testing, at least until we can see uh, stable and reliable results in the patient. Um, of course, this is sometimes very difficult in a clinical setting, but as, as soon as we know that the results are reliable, um, it might be sufficient to repeat the, the visual field test, for example, every six months or every 12 months or less. Um, but until there is not a certain stability in the results, we cannot trust the first field results completely. So actually, there is no right or wrong, and there are no rules that would tell us how often we need to repeat a field test to overcome learning effects in a given patient. But there are data which show that learning effects can occur for up to six years or longer, even if the patients are tested annually. So we can never be sure that we have overcome the learning effect completely. And most studies that dealt with learning effects in visual field testing repeated the tests for three or um, five times, sometimes a bit longer. And very often um, we saw or they showed learning effects uh, for at least three test sessions. So it might be recommendable to, to test a person at least three times in and, and, and this first interval, maybe more often before trusting the results. And it is always important to look at the trend um, so if, if we have the impression that a given patient improves after the first two or three tests, we can assume that this patient might need more tests to overcome the effect than another patient who presents with stable results up from the beginning. There is a huge variability between individuals and also within individuals. So some patients present with large defects on one day and which must much smaller defects on the next visit. And in these cases, it might be useful to repeat a field test more often to, just to get an idea about the real situation. And of course, reliability values have to be considered uh, every time. So as I said before, there's no right and wrong, but we should always bear learning and fatigue effects in mind and ask ourselves if, if they might have influenced the outcome of a certain patient significantly. And with regard to your question about fatigue, well, to overcome fatigue effects, it might be useful to test eyes alternately, and this does not require any extra time. And it might help to avoid an overestimation of defects in the second tested eye. Again, I would not suggest to do this in, in every single patient, but um, if the second tested eye repeatedly presents worse than the first tested eye, I would definitely try to change the order. And in some patients, it might also make sense to offer them a greater time interval between the measurements. That's, that's definitely difficult in a clinical setting and clinical practice where visual field clinics are usually very busy and it requires extra time because the technicians would have to type in the patient's data twice. But in single cases, it might help to, to let the patients rest for, for some time and they could go for a coffee or for a walk and then they could come back to do the second um, eye afterwards. So yes, I, I would definitely rec recommend it in, in, in some cases. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was, was very nice. Julia Lamparter is resident in ophthalmology at the University Medical Center in Mainz, Germany, and clinical and research fellow at Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, United Kingdom. Her paper, 
learning curve, and fatigue effect of flicker-defined form perimetry appears in the June 2011 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Lamparter or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.